Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 82 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And the lockout is still rolling, but at least talks seem active this week amongst Major League Baseball and the Players Association to get this thing started. If not on time, hopefully not too late. And we actually have a really fun show today because there is some news going on. We're going to talk about a potential Michael Conforto return, and if not, how the Mets uh, add some offense to a lineup that is now confirmed to have a DH, which really uh, can change the outlook of this lineup going into the season. And a loaded mailbag with, uh, honestly, a lot of good questions. So many that we are going to have to bank some of the great runs from this week onto next week so we could do even more research to answer them. But let's waste no time. Bring you in, Joe. Joe, how are you, man? What's going on? Doing great, just following this lockout and waiting to see, you know, what what's coming of these talks. Uh, so we're recording right now. It's four fifty Eastern on Tuesday. So don't know the results other than it feel it seems like they met for about two hours today, uh, which is a good sign. So they met for an hour, took a break, then met for another hour. So slightly longer than yesterday. Um, MLBPA is making a proposal today. Uh, obviously the clock is ticking. Um, I'm, I don't know if I'm optimistic per se that something's going to get done this week, uh, but I, I'm choosing to be hopeful because they're meeting every day. By all accounts, I, I believe Buster only said it seems like the conversations are a little less tense and a little more you know, negotiating. So that's a, that's a good sign if uh, you're hoping to get baseball back soon, which obviously we all are. Yeah, we are. I, Joe, I'll tell you, I'm at the point of the lockout and really the offseason as a whole that when I saw the, you know, kind of sketchy video from miles away in the parking lot zooming in on Francisco Lindor saying hi to Max Scherzer, I got excited just seeing those two together. And they're not even in uniform. They're literally in street clothes, walking with coffees, getting ready to do this negotiation. But just seeing uh, two guys that are now, you know, faces of the New York Mets franchise, total superstars interacting that's the point like that's how much i am itching for any kind of new york mets baseball right now i'll say this this is a you know obviously that that's awesome to see but i i want to credit those guys i mean if you really think about it of course they have much more in the bank than some of these other players and they have much more guaranteed money than some of these other players but when it comes to like right now financially these are a couple guys that have more to lose financially right now than most players in baseball and for Scherzer than any player in baseball because he's making the most uh, on a per year basis. And they're willing to, you know, 
stand strong against Major League Baseball to get what's right for the guys that are making $600,000 a year for the pre-arbitration players. Like it'd be very easy when you get to that point to, and convenient probably even to just be like, I'll just chill here and make my 40 million. You guys figure out all that tough stuff. So I think it's a good sign that you have a couple guys like Max Scherzer and Francisco Lindor on the New York Mets that obviously are fantastic baseball players, but also are looking out for the long term of the game. And I think that's, you know, just a little cool thing that maybe not a lot of people care about. To, but to me, I think it's a it's an admirable tra- uh, trait that they both have. I'm with you. It's totally selfless. And I think that's the kind of guys that you want playing for the New York Mets right now. The fact that Lindor is set for life and more with a contract well over $300 million that is going to be, you know, probably his career for the, you know, for 10 years, start, starting now, 10 years. And Scherzer, like you said, Joe, has made a ton of money in his career and now just signed another mega deal with the Mets to the point that you're right. These guys are, it's sacrificing a lot of things. It's sacrificing, you know, obviously current money now if the season does not get going uh, because they are looking out for the best interests of the players, in, you know, in the league. And that's what it comes down to in the league, guys that, you know, you look at a lot of the topics that are being argued right now. It's it's player minimum or it's arbitration or it's getting to free agency or it's has to really the big theme of these CBA talks has to do with owners spending money or the lack thereof. And those two guys have let's just say they don't need to be there doing that. They have no besides the fact that they are looking out for others. You know, that that's the reason they're there. So I th- I'm glad you brought that up. I think it's really cool that the Mets have two guys like that. Uh, and I think it speaks to the the makeover of the Mets roster right now. So like we said, we are going to get into uh, non-CBA stuff today and non-mailbag stuff today. And I think that really starts with the conversation that is Michael Conforto. And, you know, Pat Regazzo, a Mets beat reporter with Sports Illustrated, uh, had a report a couple of days ago that Chris Bryant and Michael Conforto are two realistic options for the Mets when the lockout ends. Now, We've heard a lot of noise about Chris Bryant and the Mets since the lockout started that they were in touch. They were in contact. This is a possibility, despite how much money the Mets have already spent. And then now you add Conforto into this equation who has, you know, kind of been thought of as as gone no matter what. There was so much talk when the offseason started that, you know, a team like the Mariners are come at Mariners uh, will come out and, you know, give them a lot of money. Um, or somebody along those lines, right? Maybe not like one of the big spenders or powerhouse teams, but there's a mid-market team out there that will line up to give Conforto the deal that he's seeking or something close to it. And that the Mets, you know, obviously felt like it was time to maybe move on. They were not going to do that for Conforto. So now you have this report from Sports Illustrated with Pat. And then you also have Buck Showalter. You know, the other day, Mike Puma pointed this out. You know, Buck said if Michael Conforto signs with somebody else, that was interesting to me as well. It just makes you wonder, is there still a chance? Are they going to keep those that conversation open? And and when you look at Brian and Conforto, they are two big bats along with Schwarber that does not cost them a, a draft pick. So if the Mets are going to spend big on offense and I am convinced that the Mets are looking at these kinds of players that do not cost you a draft pick. And one of them might lose the game of musical chairs where they can't find that four to five year deal. And instead, they take a Band-Aid deal, a one or two year deal where the money's really high. 
that does make some sense to me. So, Joe, what was your I mean, we've kind of put Conforto completely aside for months now. And now his name comes back in. And when you really step back and look afar of the construction of this roster, it does make sense in the right money scenario. I think it makes a ton of sense if you're able to bring him back on a short term deal. Like to me, uh, I don't want any of these guys that they're talking about on the four, five, six year deal. Like no Chris Bryant for long term, no Michael Conforto for long term, no Kyle Schwarber for long term. But if, like you said, a game of musical chairs and it's going to be fast and furious, like if the opportunity comes and Conforto is willing to return for a one year pillow contract, you know, I'll I'll sacrifice getting the the compensatory pick for letting him go, which they would get if he signed elsewhere. Um, I'll sacrifice that to bring Conforto back into the fold. At that point, you'd be looking at a normal outfield of Nimmo and left. Marte in center and Conforto in right significant defensive improvement from last year, which it already was a fairly decent defensive outfield last year, but adding Marte in and being able to move Nimmo to a corner, that's just more plus there on the defensive side of the ball. And I think the Mets really could use kind of some left-handed thump in the lineup. And we know Conforto has historically provided that obviously his walk year was uh, not great, but if, if you could get him on a one-year deal, I'm certainly willing to give it a shot. The one thing that I would say when we think about these guys, uh, you know, the, the focus is now on Conforto and Chris Bryant. There is uh, one thing in common with those two guys. It is their agent. <laughs> they both are rep by Scott Boris. Good point. And, uh, I do think you're going to see, as we continue on, Scott Boris clients being linked to the Mets, some accurately because, of course, he represents a lot of the top players in baseball, and the Mets are going to be looking to sign the top players in baseball. But also for a negotiation tactic, you might see him utilize the Mets for that. I've kind of felt, uh, you know, right towards the end of the lockout that the Giants seemingly made the most sense uh, for a Michael Conforto type of deal. Uh, but like I said, if he's willing to come back for a year, I think it makes a ton of sense. Chris Bryant wants to sign for a year. That makes a ton of sense, too. And while we're on the topic of potentially adding an outfielder, which maybe it's something that you and I overlooked over the last two months, where it's just like they signed Marcana, they signed Sterling Marte, they have Brandon Nimmo, their starting outfielders are set. But maybe Buck is looking at this as an opportunity to give people days off here and there to, you know, let Pete DH one day. You play Canna at first. Canna can DH. Uh, you know, you could DH whoever. Consider Seiya Suzuki in this conversation. He might be on a bit of the longer term contractual commitment, but the per year salary is going to not be what a Conforto or a Chris Bryant's going to get. So are they are they willing to play in, in that world, too? So I think it definitely leads to some interesting discussion once we get towards the end of this lockout. But the Mets should be opportunistic if that if that opportunity is there to bring impact to the lineup for a year, do it. It's it's just money and it'll come right off the books. You know, it's it's funny looking at this situation and thinking of it as this like ultimate luxury. And the more I thought about this today, and, and I've been very honest that I have I have legitimate concerns with the Mets uh and, and the power situation. I don't think they're a team that has enough power right now. And I I will be transparent. Joe, and since we started this pod, I have not been like this. And I, I mean, you have not been like this. 
I am judging this team now, once the lockout ends, on do they have enough to win a championship? I'm no longer judging this team on can they compete for the division and sneak into the playoffs. So I think my expectations as a fan have drastically changed to the point where I'm I'm going to be, um, you know, I'm going to have greater expectations than I traditionally ever do. And when I look at this team, you know, for so long, I've considered, uh, you know, Bryant a, a, an awesome luxury that they can get or Schwarber a big bat as the DH or, you know, now we have Conforto in this conversation. I almost look at it and go, this is closer to a need than a lot of people are realizing. If you factor in the chance that Brandon Nimmo might get hurt. And I know that stinks to say. I, I understand that. Like, it's not it's not fun in the offseason being like, oh, well, you know, let's be real. This this guy is going to get hurt. You but have to prepare for it. You have at this point. Yeah. I mean, here we go. Brandon Nimmo last year played 92 games. In 2019, the last full season before that, he played 69 games. So the last two full seasons, Nimmo has not even hit 100 games. And trust me, Nimmo is a huge value on this team. I wonder if this team signed a guy like Canna almost as closer to Nimmo insurance than we initially realized. And I know Canna right now is projected to start, and I understand that. He is absolutely worthy of starting in a corner outfield spot. And it's nice that he can play either corner outfield spot quite adequately. But I think when you look at this, and that's why, as much as I, I love Schwarber, and it would be awesome to see him on the Mets for the power's sake, the Conforto-Chris uh, Bryant dynamic is so fascinating to me because it gives you the ultimate insurance of, yeah, those guys can DH, but now you have interchangeable pieces with Marte and Nimmo can both play center or corner, Canna can play both corner spots, Bryant and Conforto can both play right field. So now you give yourself insurance in the outfield while also giving yourself a legitimate DH option. And to tie, to put a bow on all of this for me, the, the conversation that like the thing that made this so interesting to me is, Joe, you've brought this up more than anyone. Their fourth outfield spot is hilariously not so good right now. Like it's not major league level right now. And things can change. People can surprise you. But the Mets do not have a legitimate major league fourth outfielder on this roster right now. No, it's it would be somewhat unproven. That doesn't mean Khalil Lee couldn't be a very good fourth outfielder this year or Nick Plummer. That doesn't mean that that's not the case. But like you said, the expectations have to change. You know, I'm I am naturally like I feel like I I couldn't GM the Mets. Like I feel like I couldn't handle this three hundred million dollar payroll. It's not how uh, I would necessarily go about it, but this is where the Mets are and the mindset reasonably has to change. They're going to, even if they, they don't need to even sign Chris Bryant or Michael Conforto or one of these big names. If they just fill the holes adequately, it's going to be a $300 million payroll this year. Like sign Yusei Kikuchi, like basically do my offseason plan from a couple weeks ago. Your payroll's at $300 million and you didn't add a quote unquote star. You just plug the holes that you have. Uh, so your expectations should change. So I, I don't think you're wrong for that. I think at this point, Steve Cohen's all in, uh, you know, with the money that he's willing to spend. So as fans, you should be all in as well. And um, I believe your point on Nemo is very sound where it's, 
the reliability of being on the field is a valid question. And, you know, obviously if, if they went into opening day with Nimmo, Marte and Canna as the starting outfield, I don't think either of us are going to say that was terrible. Like, or that outfield's terrible. That outfield's not good enough. Oh, we've seen much worse, yeah. my friend. Yeah. In the Mets it, in the outfield, the city field. It could be better, of course, but we're, we wouldn't be sitting there, you know, like you said. Like We've seen worse. It wouldn't be awful. But if you have the opportunity to grab one of these guys, you know, it drastically changes the outlook of your roster um, and moves a guy like Canna into a fourth outfield slash DH slash Nimmo guy slash first baseman, like kind of a, a little bit of everything. And, you know, you just have to see what the what the contracts look like. And, you know, right now we have no idea, one, when this lockout will end. Hopefully it's uh, by the end of this week. So that way we can kick off opening day on time. But whenever it does, there's still going to be this rush. And I hope Billy Epler is sitting there realizing that there's going to be opportunities to strike once this lockout ends. Maybe it's a name we're not even thinking of, just someone a little bit off the radar that's still a really good player that you get for one year and you're just like, whoa, kind of didn't expect that. That'll help. That's great. So I'm certainly intrigued now. And I agree with you as far as maybe it's maybe it's not the luxury we thought it was. Maybe not like a, a, a need per se, but certainly something they could use. Yeah, it's a matter of if they want to wait and see and see how that goes. And then, you know, you are playing the game of what can Cano do at DH, not full time, but, it, you know, a good enough sample size and see how it goes. And then you get to the deadline. And if it blew up in your face, there's options out there that you can address it. And let's be real. Corner outfield is traditionally one of the more uh, available things at the deadline. So it's not like, right. You're like, like it's not like looking for, a frontline starter where you know you're going to give up everything or like a, a really good catcher. It, it, like you, there's corner outfielders. Look at the Braves did last year with the two corner outfielders they got. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think they can address it, you know, when the lockout ends or I think they can wait till the deadline. But I think the reality is it's much more important than a lot of people want to admit. And I think, to be fair, that did not really sit with me. Um, at, at, you know, strongly until we prepared for today's show. So to put a bow on this entire conversation, I do want to sneak in a mailbag question because it, it's right in the middle of this exact topic from Jeremy D9. If you had to pick one, are you taking Conforto, Schwarber, or Chris Bryant? Who would you take, Joe? And let's just assume they're all on, on one to two year kind of, it's all the same value context in terms of money and term. So if I'm getting... One year, like you said, two years. I'm picking Chris Bryant, I think. Uh, I get the power that I believe the Mets need. I get the versatility with his ability to play first, third, left, right. And if you have to jam him in center for a day, he's capable of standing out there and catching the baseball. And, you know, I love Conforto. I would love to have him back. But I can get a, I can let Conforto go, get a draft pick, sign Bryant, not lose a draft pick. Sign him for a year, use his versatility, go for it in 2022, make him a qualifying offer next winter, and get a draft pick if he leaves too. Just load up, man. I fully agree. I, I actually don't even really need a lot of time to think about this one. Uh, it would be Chris Bryant for me. 
I think Schwarber would be the most fun because he could legitimately in the middle of this lineup and you just say, hey, you don't have to play a position. You're probably going to be the happiest you've ever been in your entire baseball life. You come here, you just DH. And Schwarber, all, yeah. go ahead. By all counts, from what Buck's, Buck Walter seemed to have said and his history, he's not a, this guy is my DH mm. manager. So I don't think Kyle Schwarber actually fits with the Mets in that sense, in the way that, like, obviously he fits the lineup in a vacuum. But when you take into account what the manager's, you know, philosophies are, uh, I don't think Schwarber fits because the last thing you want to do is put him in the field with a glove on his hand. No, you're not. You're just not doing that. So, you know, he would provide that lefty bat you brought up with Conforto. I mean, here's the pros with Schwarber. He's going to hit you 30 home runs. He's going to do it. He's a lefty. And he's probably the most sure thing in terms of power of the three. Just pure power. Um, He can definitely have a little bit more volatility in terms of, you know, batting average, even getting on base at times. Although last year, I mean, it's freaking crazy. He had a 435 on base when he got traded to Boston. (laughs) 41 games for the Red Sox. He got on base almost half. He was a monster. Monster. Total monster. But I mean, let's you also you always say you are what the back of your baseball card is, and the back of his baseball card is not just the 41 games he played with Boston. The the cons are, and it's it's just a massive one, is that he's just he can't play anywhere in the field. And I think that matters here. So then the pros with Conforto. I mean, let's start with the obvious, and this doesn't have as much to do with baseball, but We love Michael Conforto. Michael Conforto is a homegrown product. He has played and produced in a in legitimate World Series games at City Field. He is a total class act, and everybody in that clubhouse loves him. And there's been a lot of moments of adversity, and Michael Conforto has been the guy to go to the podium and speak. And I think that's a very, um, you know, underrated and underappreciated aspect of guys, especially since David Wright has not been with this organization. I think it's very hard to come in and fill those shoes. And the Mets best player is Jacob deGrom. And he does not like speaking to the media. It's just the reality. And it's not an insult towards Jacob deGrom. Some guys are not comfortable with it. And that's okay. You know, Francisco Lindor is obviously Mr. Smile and everything, but he just got here. So I think that's number one with Conforto. Number two is, I I know, and I was definitely very hard on him last year. Michael Conforto has produced as a New York Met. So I I think that you you do know you're getting some kind of offense. I think he'll bounce back next year. Just I was more worried in a five or six year deal that that Conforto will not live up to that deal at all. But we're talking about a one or two year deal. Number three is Michael Conforto can play a damn good right field. He's got a good arm. He's got good range. He's a good enough athlete. You could stick him out in right field and you don't really think twice about him making mistakes. So that that's kind of like the complete package there with Conforto. But why I go with Chris Bryan is like you said, Joe, it is the position flexibility, the versatility to play third base on top of right field. And I think at this point, maybe Chris Bryant is maybe a more reliable power threat than Conforto. I think that's up for debate, but it's a close conversation between the three. But I, I just I roll with Chris Bryant. Yeah, to me, I think Schwarber's clearly third uh, and Conforto and Bryant are, are definitely close. Kind of it just depends what you're looking to do. I do think that Mets fans have gone too far on the Conforto stuff. Like, I think not us, but a lot of fans have forgotten how good a player Michael Conforto is. Like, he's not 
maybe he never lived up to all the potential that he had uh, from when they drafted him 10th overall. But I mean, he's a heck of a player and he had a, obviously a very, very bad 2021. And, you know, it's kind of a, I guess, a what have you done for me lately world. But I feel like everyone's just acting like Conforto stinks now. And that's obviously not the case. And the last thing before we move on that I want to mention about Chris Bryant, uh, which I meant to mention a minute ago, is I go back to what Billy Epler said in one of his press conferences. He had he said that uh, he he values players that can play in both the dirt and the grass. Chris Bryant can play in both the dirt and the grass. So not saying that means they're going to sign Chris Bryant, but I think that just tells you the kind of players that he's looking to add to the roster. No, it's, it's, these are these buck uh, tidbits and nuggets are, are good because I mean, let's be real, but buck speaks people in that front office are going to listen and, I think I think it matters. I think it really matters. I think if you hire Buck, you are going to give him and his opinion a lot of validity that, you know, come comes into play when constructing this roster. So, all right, let's keep the mailbag moving. We stuck one in. That was our big topic of the day. It's definitely a fun one. It's back to talking about baseball and what this team looks like. Uh, All right. So the next question is from Metsman04, who said, serious question. Why can't teams like the Pirates have a $200 million payroll every year? Like the highest payroll teams, their owner is still worth over a billion dollars. I'm tired of the small market narrative. And this is something that Joe and I have touched on, um, you know, plenty of times on the show, but not as in depth as you're asking. So it's, I'm glad that this question came in. <laughs> it, the reality is they they can. I mean, do not be mistaken here with right. these baseball teams. The Pirates are valued at about $1.3 billion, okay? They are obviously a, a historic franchise. Uh, their player expenses, as I'm looking at it on Forbes, is at $44 million. So uh, the reality is with the Pirates, they just choose not to, and it's a disgrace. And I, they've been called out. A lot. I know Pat McAfee himself constantly calls out the Nutting family who owns the Pirates um, for their lack of spending and how much of a disgrace it is. And the Pirates are not alone. There are a lot of teams in the MLB that operate this way. But I like that we're using the Pirates in this context because I think it's with them, it's as justified as anything. Maybe 200 million is setting the bar. Like it's hard to flip the switch, right? There are 44, and you say, oh, go for 200 next year. Like, I'm not saying that, but the fact that all of these teams do not spend over $100 million a year, when you look at the revenue coming into the sport and the stadiums and the fact that so many of them, you know, have the cities often help pay for the stadiums, there's just no way around it. It's a, it's a total joke. And if the way the CBA is currently constructed allows this absolute nonsense to go on and they get away with it. And that's why, as we sit here and record today's show or a big reason uh, that there is no baseball expected to start right now because the players are sitting there and they are tired of these little ways that owners can get away with not spending any money. They're tired of the teams that do want to spend and do want to win the New York Mets, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the New York Yankees being taxed and fined or taking away picks when they do want to spend and they set these thresholds that they can't go over, which is just a really fancy way of of creating a salary cap. So it's utterly ridiculous. And it's why a lot of people uh, are just so turned off by baseball right now. 
No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posts at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It goes without saying that we are all missing travel right now. But you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals, flights, and more. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, this view is incredible. More, mmm, another round of room service, please. More, yes, I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss, if you're listening, just ignore that last part. Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, mmm, and yes, just to name a few. Make sure to download the Priceline app for even more savings. So I think from uh, an, the 200 million, like you said, might be a bit of an extreme number, but I think he's trying to make a point that you know, ultimately, why can't they spend like most 44 is a yeah. really low number. Oh, so basically ha- the way I'm looking at it is they get revenue sharing from the big market teams. That's part of the deal. Um, the owner is not going to hop into his own money to spend. No owner does that. That's not really the way it works. But at the same time, they're getting revenue sharing. They still have people going to their games. It's not like Pirates fans don't have or Pirates don't have fans. There's people coming to the ballpark, putting money into the organization. And to me, if I were a fan of the Pirates, I would consider it a slap in the face that they only spent $44 million on the roster. And I'm sure it's going to be that or less this year. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing in the CBA that is coming that's going to change that. Uh, at this point, MLB will not do a salary floor without a salary cap. MLBPA won't do a salary cap. Thus, there will not be a salary floor. Uh, it's unfortunate that the system in place permits this. Uh, in my opinion, it should be mandatory that your revenue sharing that you get goes back into the roster. And there are grievances filed against the Pirates, the Rays, the A's, a couple other teams actually for not doing that. So those are things that are actually no one hears about, no one reports about. It's not something that you'll you'll probably ever even hear the result of. I'd never uh, heard of that either. That's yeah. interesting to me. But there are grievances for use or lack of use of revenue sharing because that's the purpose of it is, okay, you want to say 
you know, I mean, the Pirates don't draw the same kind of fans that the Mets do or the Yankees do. Like that, you could just go look that up. That's simple. But the Mets and Yankees are saying, okay, Pittsburgh, we give you blank million dollars in revenue sharing. You're getting more money in revenue sharing than you're spending on your roster. Explain to us where that money is going. They're not well, putting it back on the field. And that is where the problem lies. But wouldn't you argue that a part of them not getting revenue in their own stadium, people not going to the games because the team sucks and they are responsible for that in a way? For sure. I mean, that has to be a factor, especially with Pittsburgh. It feels like they have a, a fan base that would show up if, if the team was good. It's just a matter of, yeah. And that's a tough question to answer, right? But certainly, if they were a better team, naturally, you would imagine more people would show up. That doesn't necessarily mean they have to spend $200 million to get a better team, but they're not even, they're not even attempting. Like they are the reason that you have these anti-tanking rules that are going or that MLBPA is trying to push for. It seems like the pirates are tanking. They're not trying to win baseball games. Like they had a $44 million payroll and this past deadline, they traded away a controllable infielder and in Adam Frazier who didn't do so well when he got traded, but they traded Adam Frazier for no real reason. Like they didn't need to cut his payroll, whatever. Like they just traded away a controllable piece for prospects. And they're just, you know, their farm system's great. It's top five in baseball. It's going to, you know, continue to grow. And, you know, they want to go that route. But the Pirates are one of the organizations that's a prime reason why uh, MLB and MLBPA right now are fighting about anti tanking. That's for sure. Yeah. It's a huge issue. And that's why we're sitting here. You know, doing a, a fun, we love doing the mailbags, but I'll tell you what, I'd rather be having have spring training on the TV while I work and then talk about all how excited I am watching the Mets at Clover Park. But all right, keeping this moving, this is kind of a funny one. And I, I get it, it's actually serious. Steve Miller said, Does Francisco Alvarez look much thicker than last year? And the second part says, A good thick. I think what you have to take into account with uh, Francisco Alvarez is this man defines the build of a catcher. It is. I mean, he is a uh, he's thick. He's a catcher build catcher body. He is also very is burly. The word I'm looking for right here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's he's very burly. He's um, he's compact in terms of he's really how I would scout a running back or even a fullback. He's 5'11", over 230 pounds. And I actually think, and maybe it's because he plays catcher, I think he carries the weight very well. I think it's this is not the the build that you would want of somebody playing center field or somebody, you know, playing shortstop. But I think he's he's not like a fat 230, 235. He's just a very thick guy. He has a ton of, overall solid weight in his lower half that is going to be used to going to be just watched a couple of minor league games last year, drive the baseball very, very far. So uh, I agree with Steve. And I also think part of that from Steve is that, you know, until we see those videos posted on Twitter of them arriving, because he, he obviously players like Alvarez can arrive to the Mets facility, as we saw with Jake Mangum, guys like that, you know, we don't see a lot of him. So, uh, this is kind of the build he had last year, and I, I think that yeah. it, it is a good thing. He's a catcher. He, he's a good and a joke. It's be better than you know, way better about this than uh, than I can. But he's he's a good enough athlete, 
in my eyes. And, and this is where he gets a lot of his power from. I don't really think he looks much thicker, to be honest. He looks pretty similar to what he looked last year. I mean, I guess I haven't seen him. I didn't see him walking around in a pink tank top last year. But, uh, yeah, he doesn't look much thicker to me. Maybe, uh, frankly, I might even say he looks a little less thick, actually. I think he looks like he came in very good shape uh, for him. The one thing that he's going to have to watch, and it's it's very, it's a lot lower on my level of concerns with with players, but with a guy like Alvarez, like you mentioned, 5'11", 230 plus, he needs to be on top of his diet, on top of his workouts. That's a guy that can't slack in that because he'll get bigger and that, and you don't want him to get bigger. That's for sure. Uh, so that'll be something just, just to monitor, but it looks like he showed up in really good shape and yeah, that lower half is, that's where you're getting that 70 grade power from. Like he's, he's everything you're looking for in a catcher, man. Like he's short, he's compact, looks like a bowling ball. Like he's, he's a catcher and he has some things to work on behind the plate. And, you know, uh, Kevin Howard was very open about that. He's got to work on his receiving, especially on the on the glove side and you know, blocking balls. But Alvarez is a worker, man. So I'm confident you're going to maximize what his defensive capabilities are. And, you know, as far as thickness, let's not get too thick for uh, Francisco. Stay on top of your stuff. Yeah, you don't want to be, uh, you know, in all seriousness, you kind of saw Wilson Ramos's body broke yeah. down. You know, right. I'm, just, I'm being honest there. You, you, the body it's a taxing position, man. And I think it's a position that you do have to carry more weight than a lot of ball players. But I think you also need to be very careful of how much weight you carry because, you know, McCann, people don't, people forget James McCann is 240 pounds. And I think he's he a taller guy though, right? He, Isn't he like, yes. Yes. He is six, three. Yeah, um, yeah. But that, I mean, he, I, my point is, I think he carries that weight very well. It yes. just shows how some guys are, are and McCann is, Say what you want about his season, but McCann is a pretty good athlete behind the plate in terms of his arm and power and, um, you know, handling the position as a whole. So, all right. This one is from MNY. Sticking with the prospect theme here, he said, at least one of Ronnie Mauricio, Mark Vientos, and Brett Beatty probably won't have a place to play in Queens since they all crowd each other. And shortstop and first base are currently taken. At this point, who would you be most willing to trade and what would you expect to get? Joe, I know you don't like parting ways with a prospect, but what do you think of this trio and how it could play out? So I, I think there's a chance that there's a place for all of them to play. I think of course uh, you do. The, the Mets are going to dabble with Ronnie Mauricio at second base and see how that looks. Um, I've heard outfield is something they're going to look into this, this year uh, with him, but Anthony Tacomo reported uh, from Port St. Lucie that he had heard there's no current plans with the outfield. Uh, so I think there's a chance with Mauricio, less so than the other two. Like Brett Beatty is the third baseman. He's going to be the Mets' third baseman in the not-too-distant future. Vientos will play some left field. He'll play some third base. He'll play some first base. The DH kind of feels like a, a spot that makes a lot of sense for Mark Vientos. Um, Mauricio's the one that, you know, if if you put a gun to my head and said I had to trade one of these guys, for me, it's probably Mauricio. Um, it's just to me, it's and it's not even so much the defensive home. I have questions about the bat. And, you know, he answered some of them in 2021. There was a question of is the power going to translate into game check? All right. Well, now the power's there. 
Is the pitch recognition skills going to improve? Is the contact rate going to improve? That's what 2022 is all about. He's still a very young man. Um, certainly has time to continue to grow and, and the upside's there. But if I were to trade a Mauricio, it would only be in a deal for a serious starting pitcher. Like I'm not trading Ronnie Mauricio for Sean Manaya or Chris Bassett or Sonny Gray or someone like that. Like he would have to be part of a deal to bring me a Luis Castillo or, you know, a Frankie Montas. I might think about it. So that's kind of where I'm thinking Mauricio can go in a big deal. But there is a chance where we stand today and, you know, a year from now when the draft happens and they add some more prospects, maybe the conversation changes. But where we stand today, it's not completely ridiculous to say there is a chance that there's a spot for all three of them. Yeah, I think I, I think your logic is where I'm at. It's, you know, Mauricio is the guy that, you know, when Lindor got here and Beatty kind of took off simultaneously, and then Vientos took off as well, who also had a shot at third, but like you said, is more uh, apt or, or expected to move into a DH corner outfield role. You kind of all stare around and look at Mauricio and go, man, is he going to play second base? Is he gonna, What is he going to be? And I think we're still, like you said, it's it's not fair to, to determine that now. He's He's turning 21, I believe, very soon. So he's a young guy. He did make strides last year, but like you said, the overall contact is without a doubt a, a fair issue. So I think it's Mauricio in terms of he, I think carries a lot of value and that value probably looks a lot nicer elsewhere than the Mets organization down the line. That's my overall thought with that. But besides being boxed out because Beatty, Beatty seems like the lock of the three. Am I wrong to say that Joe? And I know you never like calling a prospect a lock, but in terms of his, his path to the big leagues, I feel the most confident in what Brett Beatty's path to the big league looks like. It, it, there's much fewer questions with him, in my opinion, for sure. All right. This one from an insane Mets fan asked, Joe, how much college baseball do you watch for MLB draft prospect evaluations? A lot. I mean, what would I be doing if I wasn't? Uh, so you yeah, have yeah. to watch, you have to watch a lot of games and, you know, I try to get tape where I can after the fact to get, you know, a behind catcher view or different camera angles that I can get to to look at these guys. But like I spent this past weekend watching so much college baseball. Um, it was fantastic. It was great. Like I, I watched pretty much all of Landon Sims's start for Mississippi State. Uh, I saw six of the seven innings. I had to run out quick, so I didn't see his last inning. Uh, but it was fun to watch him go. I mean, that's a guy that certainly where we stand today could be in play with one of the two Mets first round picks. Uh, fastball got up to 96 miles an hour the velocity tailed off a little bit as as the game went on uh, I believe it was the sixth and seventh inning he was sitting more 90 to 92 uh, so that was certainly something to something to watch I mean it was colder it was his first start ever because remember he's converting from a reliever um, he didn't throw any change-ups which is a pitch that he worked on in the offseason and in training metrically it looked great just need to see that in game action uh so he's one that bears watching uh, i think you know I, I told you before we started recording like i think i have my early pet cat like robert moore the second baseman from arkansas big hit bob uh he's the son of royals president of baseball operations dayton moore he's my kind of player man this is a high contact rate guy uh 
sneaky power. Like, I don't know if he's ever going to be a huge power guy, but, you know, he's got some pop. Certainly will hit some doubles, some triples. He can run. Uh, he could play the heck out of second base. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a plus-plus defensive second baseman at the next level. And he's got the, you know, son of a son of a baseball person. So he's got that baseball's in his blood kind of thing. Grinder kind of player, leader. Like, you know, Robert Moore is one of my guys. But, you know, from an overall perspective, I watched a ton of college baseball. And I intend to all spring. It, it's got to be a huge part of the evaluation to – you know, it's it's definitely easy to text scouts in baseball and get some answers. But, you know, I, I don't want to just be, you know, the mouthpiece for the scouts that I have. I want to make my own assessments. And, you know, sometimes it's fun to have some back and forth with those with those scouts about some of these prospects and see where we differ. And, you know, I use that as a learning experience. But watching them, there's nothing like it. And man, it's it's an exciting sport, college baseball. I mean, oh, it's it really, electric! It, it is really electric, is, man. Yeah. The energy from the dugouts, obviously, the fact that they are using they're not using wood bats, just that sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's there, there's a there's an environment aspect to it that is it's really fun to watch. So that obviously, I mean, that's what I always tell people. Like, I'm not a college football fan in terms of like I don't root for one specific team. But it makes my job a hell of a lot easier when you're like you do, Joe, you're evaluating prospects and you're also watching something that is so freaking entertaining and so fun uh, to get behind. So, yeah, no surprise. Joe watches a lot of college baseball. (laughs) All right. The last question of today's episode of That's So Mets. It is number 82. No bet is more number 82. In case you were wondering, it has not been done. And hopefully, honestly, it does not happen because that means things are are going very wrong down the injury ladder if we get to that. This one from Adam B. Kept it real simple here, Adam. He said, best and worst pizza toppings, hashtag that's so Mets. So my take on pizza, and I think Joe's going to agree with me because we are both Northeast guys. A lot of time with pizza, less is more. Like, don't... When somebody's trying to do so much with pizza... It usually means the actual pizza sucks. It usually means that you have shitty dough. Uh, I don't even know if if we ever curse on this pod. That was just an accidental drop. So there we go. Now we now we have. Now we do. (laughs) All it takes is pizza to get going. It means your your sauce and cheese is probably low quality uh, because if you're smearing just like five different toppings on it and making it into a casserole. So listen, for me, the best topping is pepperoni. You don't have to overthink that. I every once in a while, and usually this is like a drunk thing, I'll I'll get down with a good buffalo chicken slice. But if I'm just ordering a pie, pepperoni, keep it simple, go pepperoni. Uh, and the most adventurous I'll get is is a chicken pepperoni slice here in Hoboken because they do it right. But do you agree with that take, Joe? Or are you are you are you are really lobbing on the toppings here? Also, no, pineapple no, 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 sucks. No. Yeah, yeah, definitely don't put pineapple. So I guess pineapple would be the worst. I've never had it. I'm just assuming Same. it's the worst. I just, I'll never do that. That's yeah, I'll never, I'll never try it. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I am not a big topping guy. I mean, I'm kind of a plain guy, kind of in general. But if I'm ordering a pie, it's you know, a moots with gar. Which, by the way, the way we order it is the way we order in New Haven is different than other places. Uh, so like, I went to New Jersey. So in in New Haven, which is the pizza capital of the world, don't care what anyone says. If you go to New Haven, Connecticut, that's 
that's the best pizza. You got Sally's, you got Pepe's, you got Modern. Like those are the spots. If you want to order a cheese pizza to use simplistic terms, like you have to tell them that you want moots on the pizza and moots for mozzarella. Like, yeah, you can't you have say to tell plain. Them. Yeah, if you just say you want a plain pizza, you're getting a pizza with no cheese on it. You're just getting a pizza with just sauce, which Sally's has a killer plain pie. Like it's it's amazing. Like even without cheese, it's amazing. But I went to New Jersey to a place and I remember asking for a moots with garlic. Garlic is my go-to topping. And it's like, it's barely a topping, but I love throwing some garlic on a pie. And they came out and they basically brought me what looked like a margarita pie. Because, well, I said moots and they thought I meant fresh moots, which you would put on a margarita pie. And I was just like, all right, well, it's definitely different. Like, you don't have to mention getting cheese at the places I've gone to in New Jersey. It just kind of is part of it. But garlic is my go-to. I get garlic no matter what. Like you, it's pepperoni. Um, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. Like I'm, and I'm down to just get a large moots with nothing on it. Like to me, kind of to your, you know, beginning point. You judge. I feel like if you want to judge the quality of someone's pizza, you just get a plain cheese moots pie. And that's how you know how good their pizza is. Cause that's how you're going to really taste the dough, really taste the sauce, the cheese, whatever spices they may throw on it. Like if you want to really taste it, that's how you know how good a pizza is. If you just slop stuff on to me, that's, I don't know that it doesn't feel like you're having pizza anymore. No, I think, I think you're on it. It's it. I'm telling you for anyone listening, and you're either, you know, you might not be, you might not live in the tri-state area. You're going to come here. I'm telling you, less is more here. Like, just enjoy the quality of the sauce. And this might sound like kind of maybe the most arrogant you and I have ever sounded, but I do take a lot of pride in. I'm so arrogant with, with my pizza. Yeah. How could you yeah. not be? I mean, and, yeah. and like I've said before, it, it actually took me a while to realize how different it is from when I really started to travel for tailgate tour a couple of years ago. And I started to go to a lot of different places around the country. Um, you just you just learn things that you either cannot order or you, if you do, your expectations, you know, better be right. They better be set extremely, extremely low because tri-state area pizza is just it's just different. I mean, besides actually, you know, being in Italy. Um, just and even to... that and even that's different. Like it is very different. Yeah. Pizza in Italy is nothing like the pizza that you are like that no. we think is great in the tri-state area. It's drastically different. They American pizza even, yeah. is yeah. is very different experience than actual, you know, when you order a pie in, in Italy. Um, yeah, it's just uh, I, I say that for Italian food as a whole. There are definitely spots around the country that do Italian right. But if you are I'm talking about like the volume scale, like say you were walking, you know, around any city in the in the northeast chances are the italian place you randomly pop into is going to be really good and i you don't say that about a lot of other places so i think it's um yeah you just don't have to do a lot right like it's not like it's like you know that's why like dominoes and places like that are like throwing chicken bacon ranch stuff in your face and don't get me wrong i'm not above that like there's not a there's there's a time and a place but oh, I'll, I'll have a drunk i'll slam a drunk dominoes I have of no course yeah, yeah that exactly we're not above that but yeah. it's, it's just the fact that we're talking about real-time pizza. Yeah, less is more. Love the question. Always got to end the show 
with a fun one. And man, I hope that this is one of the last lockout shows. I really, really do. Episode 82, Joe, closing thoughts. Well, while we are recording, Evan Drellick came out with some details on the lockout what was, man, the man of the lockout, the man of the lockout came out with some some details from the MLBPA's proposal, which we don't have to really have much of a reaction to because I'm going to wait for some more details on it. Uh, but here here's what he tweeted. It's a, a three tweet thing. So I'll just slam through them all as if it's one included in MLBPA's offer today. Instead of 80% of players with two to three years of service being eligible for arbitration, now 75%. Dropped from eight picks in the amateur draft lottery to seven. Some increases in the minimum salary. Interesting. There was no new proposal on CBT. On minimum salary that MLBPA proposed today, first year of the CBA remains 775000 each subsequent year, it goes up by 30000 now instead of 25000 previously. So it's now 775 k 805 k 835 k 865 k 895 k and then you'll be getting into a new CBA. The second meeting between MLB and the MLBPA today was a smaller group meeting, two to a side. Lead negotiator Dan Hallam and Rockies owner Dick Monfort for the owners. Lead negotiator Bruce Meyer and executive subcommittee member Max Scherzer for the players. Mm. So I'd love to see Max Scherzer go at Dick Monfort. That would that would definitely be uh, something. Max is terrifying. Yeah, like I wouldn't want to be on the opposite side of him. But kind of early, like I want some more details on this. But early, just really snap reaction is this is not progress. Um, the Right now, the uh, amount of players for the arbitration, I believe MLB has it at 22% and reportedly don't really want to budge much on that. And MLBPA is at 75 now, so there's quite a gap there. Um, the lottery, whatever, like MLB was at, is at four, MLBPA is at seven. Call it five and move on with your life. Um, the minimum salary wasn't acceptable before. Asking for more is not going to move you closer to a deal. Like that's to me, that's that's the bad part of this is they were not willing to accept your previous minimum salary offer. Asking for more is not going to get you closer to a deal. So looking at this proposal just on the surface, you know. If we recorded tomorrow, my opinion might be a little more uh, detailed, but through two days, the positive is that they've met two days in a row, that it sounds as if the talks have been more productive and working together than fighting with each other. But the proposals that have come the last two days have shown that neither side is even close to caving. In fact, both sides made an increase on what they were asking uh, over the last two days. So well, that's not good. Being optimistic, or, or if you want to be optimistic, uh, these two proposals <laughs> are not for you, um, at least on the surface. So we'll know more tomorrow, and uh, they'll they'll talk again tomorrow. Uh, Evan announced that that the meeting is happening again tomorrow for sure. It's already scheduled, so that will happen. And uh, I guess we'll see where we're at, but. 
I'll tell you, Connor, we are really, really against the wall here. I mean, Jeff Passan, John Heyman, those guys are saying February 28th, March 1st, like those are the deadlines for opening day. And we are a week from that, not even. So the pressure is on and, you know, deadlines make deals. So you're hopeful that at the end of the week, there is someone caving somewhere. But uh, yeah, it doesn't look like right now, either side is budging particularly much. And as you were reading those, I'm watching a, a video on from SNYTV's Twitter of a very animated Max Scherzer entertaining a crowd of four, four bros. He's just he's flailing his arms. He's moving around. I would love to know what he's actually saying. He could be literally talking about like anything from from going out and playing golf to uh, being pissed as hell at whatever transpired <laughs> from this meeting. So. All right. <laughs> Maybe we'll be back on the stream pretty soon as well. We are looking forward to baseball being back. And of course, episode 83 will be next week. So thank you so much, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Now you can get McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich. McDonald's spicy crispy chicken sandwich. And or filet of fish. Any two for just six bucks. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. A single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer.